Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Now if you're listening to this podcast the day that it comes out, then it's the first day of summer, and nothing says the changing of the seasons, to me, quite like the music of George Winston. Now you may be saying to yourself, George Winston seems like a very odd choice for a podcast that's typically about unsung rock stars. I grew up on George Winston music. He's every bit the rock star that any of our other guests have been. I have always loved his music. To me, it transcends the genre. I don't pretend to know anything about new age music, to be honest with you. I just know that I love George. And that's largely because his music to me has a very rustic, earthy quality to it that sort of elevates it above what I perceive most of that genre to be about. I also didn't know him at all. I've always found him to be a very mysterious figure. He doesn't appear on any of his album covers, so I didn't really know what he looked like till I Googled it. I'd never heard him interviewed before. I didn't know what his speaking voice was like or his personality or anything. I don't know anything about what it even takes to want to become a new age artist. I have no idea. So I tried to apply his career to the rock and roll template that I'm used to. And in a lot of ways, he ended up being exactly like I thought he would be. He doesn't listen to popular music, hasn't done it since the death of Jim Morrison. He's not even familiar with his contemporaries' work. He doesn't listen to anything. He's really insular and in a, has created a world of his own where he really only focuses on what interests him. But his personality is extremely talkative, really gregarious. He's a little bit of a trip in the best way which really threw me for a loop. I had no idea. Now, I don't pretend to understand the intricacies or technicalities around piano music or new age music or how music is made or how the piano is played. I don't understand any of that. So I'll be honest, I was a little lost when it went there in this conversation here and there, but I know that I love George and I really wanted to shine a spotlight on him because his music means a lot to me. By the way, pay attention at the end of the interview, I'll give you details on how you can get your hands on some free George Winston CDs. He sent me a bunch, I've got them to give away, I will mail them to you, I'll give you the details at the end. Now George lives in the Santa Cruz area of California, but when we talked perfectly, he was on a road trip to Montana. I always kick these things off with how I discover the people that I talk to and yours is a very specific memory that I have. I've mentioned this before on this podcast that I'm the oldest in my family, so I didn't have that older sibling that sort of bestows their record collection or their music tastes onto you when you're growing up, but I had some older cousins, and specifically my cousins Tony and Rick were just a couple years older than me, and they were really into classic rock, so a lot of Jethro Tull and The Doors, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and stuff like that. But included in their CD collection, almost like the only outlier was your December album. And as a young kid, you know, trying to kind of emulate my mentors and my heroes, who were my older cousins, of course I pulled that out and I listened to it. And I think because of the context of how I heard it, I don't listen to a ton of New Age music, but I didn't hear it in a dentist office or an elevator or those places that you sort of joke about hearing new age music. I don't play any of it. Exactly. You don't. That's what, that's why I think this was so impactful is because well, they, I they, heard it in a different they context. Me, they used to call me classical before they made that thing up. And I never played any classical. So 
No. I just, I just call that melodic style of rural folk piano. It, what it is, I came up with it in 1971. I, I'd been playing organ for four years. When I heard The Doors, 1967, mm. their first album was just the greatest thing I'd ever heard. I said, I'd always liked organ the best for uh-huh. so being a listener. And I said, i got to get an organ and play in a band. And then four years later, I heard Fats Waller's piano recordings in the 20s and 30s, and instant, same kind of instant thing, like, oh, solo piano, not organ in a band. Every honeybee fills with jealousy When they see you out with me I don't blame them, goodness, no On this summer road When we're passing by, flowers drip inside and I know the reason why You're much sweeter, goodness knows On that supper road Don't buy sugar You just have to touch my cup You're my sugar It's sweet when you stir it up When I'm taking sales from your tasty lips The honey valley drift Your confection, goodness knows Honeysuckle Road. But I couldn't do the stride piano yet. Still working on it, in fact. But uh-huh. I, can't, I said, I want something that's exactly complementary to that and opposite. Something like folk, you know, folk songs, simple, melodic, notes sustaining. And that's how I came up with that folk piano style back in 71. I won't say Fats Waller didn't directly influence it, of course, but wanting to do something to have a complementary thing to the up-tempo stuff. So in a way, Fats Waller did influence me to, to find it within the piano. Interesting. Okay. Now, and were I'm you... Hear, hearing a lot of great folk guitarists at the time, and John right. Faye, yeah. and, and, you know, finger-picking guitar and things like that. I said, well, folk guitar, this is folk piano. And, and then I said, well, it's kind of got a rural sensibility like the up-tempo stuff is more of an urban sensibility generally. And I came up with, I mean, most specifically rural folk piano. And he, the short version of that is folk piano. Yeah. <laughs> you know, always. That's exactly what it is. You know, I was thinking about this because the only other piano player that I can think of who's sort of similar to your level of fame might be someone like Jim Brickman or something like that. And he's great too, but his his music seems... You know, it's more like a Hallmark card or Valentine's Day or baby lullabies. Well, I heard, or some, heard his name, don't know him, but don't know music, but heard of him. You've heard, you've the, the only pianist I listened to for a long, long time, uh, currently and for a long, long time, been the New Orleans Rhythm and Blues pianist. Like, that's oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Uh, James Booker, Professor Longhair, Henry Butler, Dr. John, John Cleary. Nice. Tom McDermott, many, I, oh, I'd say since 1979, that's been my, okay. by far. And okay. So you're more, so you're more influenced by R&B and Boogie. Okay. Well, a lot I don't know. I mean, I haven't listened to popular music since Jim Morrison died. So. <laughs> really? A lot. I don't know. There's only so many hours in the day. Sure. When Jim Morrison died, I went back to 1928. Said, "Well, no more oh. Doors, no more rock and radio for me." So, really, uh, ten years of listening to rock, you know, I said, "Okay, what else is there?" And so I said, really? "Okay, back to 1928." 
early Cajun, early blues. Yeah. Old time fiddle, you know, just, you know, I said, I've got to find out the other 99%. <laughs> yes. That is fascinating. So you, you never even got caught up in like the Elton Johns or Billy Joels or those pop guys who were focusing on the piano. You gave up popular rock music in the early 70s? Yeah, July 3, 1971. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, just just went, you know, so many, I'm sure there's great stuff. Yeah. My era to draw things from is it's mainly 1928 to 1968, but the long end of it would be 1921 right. to 1971. Like okay. a lot of classical players play their areas of the Baroque era or 20th century classical or, 19, you know, so everybody eventually, you know, or a lot of people, you know, sort of, have an era they have the most affinity for. I mean, I might play something from the late 20th century or from 1700, but very, very, very little. It, it wasn't something I tried to do. Music to me is like the wet. I just notice it, and then I go, yeah. okay, I, I see what to work on here. It's a bit, you know, like, okay, I know what to do. Yeah, so I'm sure there's great stuff okay. all eras, but, you know, the longer you I play the more I figure out who I am and who I'm not, you know. I'm yeah, just true. Not gonna, but I've, I've heard of all those folks, just never had a time, never had time yeah. to listen. Well, that um, makes sense. That's what I was kind of driving at is that when I listen to you, I hear something way more rustic versus romantic. You know, when I listen to you, I imagine probably exactly what you do, which is like hiking through the Montana forests or something like that versus you know, candlelight and wine and, you know, those kind of romantic visions that come about from, from uh, especially from, um, uh, you know, piano instrumental-based music like yours. It conjures up a walk in the on a spring morning or something like that versus, you know, something overly romantic or even kind of schmaltzy, borderline schmaltzy. Your stuff is just so beautiful that way, you know? Oh, thanks. Yeah, the, the connection the to the earth. piano stuff is mainly rural, mainly yeah. Or if it's urban, it's three in the morning. Yeah, you know, it's, true. And then the up-tempo stuff is generally urban, you know, in daytime and early evening. The, the three composers that I work on the most that have actually tried to play all their songs, and it hasn't worked out. A lot of some of them don't work the solo piano pieces, which is my voice uh-huh. as a player, are Professor Long Air of the Doors and Vince Guaraldi. Yeah, so love them. That's, that's like, you know, only so many hours in the day, and it's sure. It's uh, may as well stick with what you love, right? I've certainly worked on other songs, but those are the three that those are your main ones that I've tried to play every single thing they did. Not right. not intellectually, but I just wanted to. And yeah, um, are the are the Doors the only sort of modern? Sounds like they would be the only sort of modern pop slash rock act that you would feel inspired enough to do a complete album of like you already did with Night Divides of the Day?
Yeah, the only one that worked out. I certainly thought of Randy Newman. Yeah, I wondered about uh, that. I certainly thought of Frank Zappa. But oh, not a lot of songs worked out as solo piano pieces. Um, yeah. I, I thought about those two. Let me see if I see anybody else. Well, I certainly thought of Buddy Holly and Sam Cooke. Mm, interesting. But just, you know, to do an album that's got to be, you know, like 15 pieces or more. And yeah. Sam Cooke, I really, really honestly only only play five pieces. Okay. And Frank Zappa, I thought, I've considered everything, but his stuff is so hard. And yeah, I can imagine. generally not piano-dominated. And No, I can't imagine that it would even be that that pleasurable on the ear on a, just the piano, you know? The, the, his music is so... I, I'm not a huge fan, but musicians seem to love Frank Zappa because they're blown away by the musicianship. But your your music is so lovely and so lush. None of those things are associated, in my mind, with Frank Zappa's music. Although you would probably find your way into kind of the perfect melody lines and everything that you would want to make an album out of. Well, there's about 30 pieces that almost work, but it's kind of like really? basketball. Almost a basket is not a basket. You know, a dunk is the same as a layup of, you know, an air ball is the same as in and out. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. You miss, you miss. You make it, you make it. Right. The one that no matter how you get there. is Peaches and Regalia from the Hot Rats album. That works. Oh. And it does have Ian Underwood playing backup piano. It doesn't have anything to do with it, with there's any piano in it. You know, if you like a song, you like a song. Sure. You know, sure. if you like, of course, Linus and Lucy is piano, but Light My Fire, and there's no piano. Sons of Oregon, though. I like though. a song. I like a song. Now, my voice is strictly instrumental solo, uh-huh. so it's just going to work as a solo instrumental and piano, or if not piano, maybe guitar. If not yeah. guitar, then harmonica. Like right. the, the Doors, Your Lost Little Girl works better for me as a guitar solo than to mm. play on piano. Interesting. Okay. And you could just pick all that up. I mean, I'm. I know you play the guitar. I don't. I don't think you put out. I have like most of your albums, your piano albums, but I don't know. There's not a guitar album, right? Those are just you just kind of do that. And there's a soundtrack album called Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes.
don't have that one. That's a guitar soundtrack. There is a solo harmonica album too. Oh, fantastic. I, I wondered if they were out there, but they're not on I don't think they're on your allmusic.com page. I wasn't sure. So okay. Very cool. I've never seen that, but they are on iTunes and they're on my website. Great. Okay. Good. Good deal. The guitar well they, you know, there's three elements, you know, if I'm gonna play a song, there's whether it's one I put together occasionally or somebody else's, it's okay, what's the song want? Okay, now what does the instrument want? Like, you know, what are the strengths and limitations mm. of the instrument? What do, what does or does not sing on an instrument? The third is what do I want to do? Right. Now, what the third thing, what I want to do has final say, but mm-hmm. they all have to work together or else, kind of like components of a car engine, it doesn't start. It doesn't, right. you know, live and breathe. And... Sometimes things take decades, certain mm-hmm. certain songs. So it's nice to have those three options. You know, there's basically four families of instruments, for percussion, drums, and piano, mm-hmm. pluck, harp, guitar, wind, harmonica, trumpet, trombone, and the bowed instruments, which I don't play any of. Uh, the, the bowed instruments, you know, pedal, cello, viola, the sounds of those instruments do inspire certain things on the guitar, piano, and harmonica. But, you know, it's like there's only so many hours in the day. It's tough to keep these three up. I, I don't want to yeah. work it. Yeah, I bet. I, I bet. Yeah, I bet. That's funny. So when I pick a song, when I like a song or, or a song picks me or I notice a song I like or whatever it is, that's kind of the elements that I notice that happen. And I go, you know, okay. why, doesn't this, why didn't this song work? Oh, because it might be because a certain part I can't play well yet. Most songs on the piano I play in the same key as the composer, but not always. So okay. just like somebody's voice will work better in a certain key, sometimes the piano works better in a certain key. I don't sing at all, but, you know, you want things in the range of the singer. But sometimes sure. the piano is that way that, like, the doors... Um, Riders in the Storm, it, I just couldn't get it to work in their key of E minor. Huh. I moved it to B flat minor and it just sang instantly. pieces that he plays in F, I play up in A flat. Why? Yeah. I don't know. It just, it, it really it just is like, you. yeah, it's like I'm the narrator or the librarian or I'm noticing the weather. It's like I'm not uh-huh. mentally or analytically saying this should or this shouldn't. It's just what feels right or what is right. 
Yeah, so Matt, so they do use the mental analytical thing and analyzing the chords, but I don't picking repertoire or for deciding what instrument or anything. That's all feel. That's all realization or wake up in the morning and go, oh, okay, I know what to do. So I'm curious. I really only know how a rock band goes through the ranks to become famous. You know, a guy and some friends start in the garage, learn how to play their instruments, put a demo together, play in clubs, get discovered, blah, blah, blah. I know the template as it applies to a rock group. How does somebody set out to become one of the most famous New Age artists around? How does that even happen? Is it a similar process where you, you know, I'm well, getting actually, good I, on the I, piano? and Actually, I did. I'm not. Because remember, I don't play any of that. <laughs> well, sure. But, I mean, like, do you follow a similar thing where, you know, you're playing in small clubs and you're, you start to get bigger and bigger and you create a buzz and then you go out on the road? I mean, I don't really well, know how it works. Well, it's all luck with me. I did the first record for John Bay's label back in 72 called Ballads of Blues 1972. And that uh-huh. went out of print real quick. Then I did Autumn in 1980, and that sold just by accident. You know, not, you know, I, you know, I did interviews and was playing small venues, and it sold more. And the other ones went in spring, December, and bigger venues. And then I got too big for my taste, so I continued playing, but I stopped doing interviews and recording for nine years, until it got like to cool down to the level I want. So I really? kind of did the opposite. Let, let's let's have a let's yeah let's make this smaller that it fits. And what did you do during those nine years? Well, I played. I practiced. Okay. I played shows. I continued touring. But I said, I'm oh, just okay. going to play. I'm not going to do anything else. And it wasn't that big, but it was too big for me. Okay. It didn't fit. Okay. You know, I'm a real yeah. behind-the-scenes kind of worker by temperament. And it took about six years to get used to being in up front. Of course, if you're playing solo instrumental, you are up front. But still... It being used to that. And then I got used to it, used to the touring, and, you know, now it's exactly what it should be. You know, small venues, and right. I'm out about eight, nine months of the year, and no big deal, you know. Okay, Just okay. Like, you know, I'm not a new thing or nothing, you know. Sure, I, but I, you're I a beloved thing. I mean, this may sound funny, but to me, and maybe this is just my own personal perception, you're almost every bit the rock star that a rock star might be. I mean, and maybe that's just because I've grown up on your music, but you're, I mean, 
I hold you in similar esteem. I would imagine your audience, you know, a show of yours would need to be quieter, more intimate, smaller halls. I know you play Boulder a lot, which is up the road from where I am. The smaller venues, like on the records, the, the melodic pieces, uh, one of the things I love about the piano is the sustain. So mm. I let notes ring out a long time, sometimes those overtones, and each yeah. piano is different. So it's always like it's got that nice uncertainty. Sure. What, what You're playing with space, right? What You're manipulating space. When I let yeah. those notes ring out, how's this instrument going to do it? And they're all mm-hmm. different, and I like that every piano is different, just like I like that every town is different. And that okay. works because of the piano, you are kind of playing, you are playing a machine like a bicycle. You're playing in a, you know, a mechanical machine, whereas guitar, you want, I, 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 what, I have my own guitar because your hands are right on the strings, you mm-hmm. know, the mm-hmm. harmonica, you know, you your lips mm-hmm. around the harmonic. Piano is not so intimate. It's a struggle to get it to say anything. Yeah, really. I can imagine. But, you know, I'm you have to master it. Still, you know, constantly working on it. And but all I knew before I went back to 1928, after Jim Morrison died, all I knew was organists. I knew all of them. Uh huh. Instrumental. Popular instrumental music since 1971, thousands of pieces. I knew that, and I knew the doors. I didn't know anything else. <laughs> and then I said, I mean, I like these things I know. But, yeah. You know, I've got to. You carved um, your own niche. And, you know, and I would say very much influence on me also was Al Cooper mm-hmm. and the very first Blood, Sweat, and Tears album called Child's sure. Father to the Man. Yeah, great stuff. The best known song on that is I Can't Quit Her. I can't quit her. She got a hold on me. She got a hand on my soul. I can't quit her. Cause I see your face everywhere I go. In the city streets, in the country field. In the back of my mind, I know it can't be real. The whole woman to possess all the tenderness she had. The hands of time keep ticking at my back Cause it's been so long since I had a back beside me Yeah, I know I can't quit her Cause in my darkest nights you come on like a light I can't quit her Tries to make I spent the summer in 1978 studying those pieces on that album to arrange them for the four-piece band I was in to play. But what did we do with the horn part? What did we do with the flute part? When does the guitar player take the organ part? When do I play the organ part? When do I play the horn parts on organ? Al Cooper in that first Blood, Sweat, Tears album in particular also was a huge influence and an organist you know when I was playing organ Jimmy Smith of course great jazz mm-hmm. organist Jimmy McGriff also Taylor uh, Cavalier the Young Rascals uh, yeah. great man Derek from the Doors sure uh, okay I missed the whole British invasion I was listening to instrumentals strictly I was 
I'll, I'll listen to Tijuana Brass. Okay. Oh, sure, of course. You know, it's interesting. Getting to, I, You never know. I always wonder when someone who has basically devoted their whole career to a particular genre or a particular sound, if they ever feel sort of hemmed in by it. Like, yeah, I, I do this because that's what the public wants from me and that's what I'm good at. But at home, when I'm not doing this, I listen to something completely different. But it sounds like you are immersed in your influences that inform the music you make. You're not even really, in your off hours, you probably listen to music that's very similar to your own, or at least influencing your own, versus something completely different, right? Well, it would be Professor Longhair, James Booker, Henry Buck. Oh, okay. It would be the New Orleans pianist. It, it wouldn't be anything melodic. The melodic, there's no influences for the folk piano. It all just comes from the piano. Yeah. You know, it just comes the, the, from what the piano has to offer with the sustain and the ring out for the overtones. But it's all one thing. Yeah, I mean, what I what I do at a show, what I do on a record is, is squarely where I am coming from. I mean, it's, okay. it's like the concert will have a mixture because a record I like to be one thing generally. Okay. Um, kind of put it under a like theme. A mo- it's like a movie soundtrack with no movie. Sure. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. One. Yeah, absolutely. One theme. That's what I got yeah. out of the Doors' first album. I said this album is like one long song with eleven parts. But in a concert, it's this is different as night and day from making a record. In a concert, you're you're playing for someone there now. A record, you're playing for somebody for the future. Somebody who's never not thought there of it that way. Yeah, never thought of it that way. You're right. Okay. And in the so concert, I mix it up. There's New Orleans R&B, stride piano, and the melodic folk piano. It's for all these Peanuts pieces. Soul guitar pieces, a harmonica piece. It's it's the concert is where am I coming from uh, right now? Yeah. Okay. Where it doesn't matter for for 500 people or for two people and a friend. Okay. It's going to be the same. What's right to play right now? What's okay? I, I do sure. take the audience into account. I, I do take into right. account who I'm playing for. Uh, as long as I want to play the song, I have no problem with, you know, if I'm playing guitar at a senior center, it's going to be more the Appalachian fiddle tune kind of things, mm-hmm. things like Tennessee okay. Waltz or uh, Good Night Irene, mm-hmm. whereas if I'm playing a solo piano dance, it's going to be the fresher, long air stuff. Right. In a concert, okay. it's going to be about at least 
half the stuff in the records. Because why is somebody at a concert? There's only one reason. Records. Yeah, true. True. Well, at least a concert of mine. I mean, not, nobody's going to go because, oh, there's a piano player. Uh, so what? You know, or there's, right. it's not like there's nothing to do, you know. With right. All this. Right. Do you have songs that you have to play no matter what? I mean, my my perception of you is that your December album, I mean, that's a Christmas standard at this point. I, I listen to it every year. But if I were to see you in concert in June, I would still want to hear Carol of the Bells, even though it's not wintertime. Summer show and winter show. Summer is spring and summer songs, and winters. Okay. Uh, winter is fall and winter tunes. And in the uh, winter show, I still play Carol the Bells and Thanksgiving from December in that show. And somehow the Taco Bell canon variations fit in the summer show. So oh. there's uh, those are the two most popular tunes I did. I think are Thanksgiving and. Uh, various of the cannon by Fox Bells. Yeah, those do get played, but I, but I, even more than that, I still currently, I really do really play them. So okay. Um, I mean, I've seen people get imprisoned by songs. I went, nope, not me. <laughs> you know, I mean, part of the thing of having millions of albums is you can see the mistakes that got made. Oh wow! Like for example, hmm. like the third or fourth album. Uh huh. You know. It, Spend your whole life oversimplifying, but you know a lot of 
groups spent their whole life on the songs that are in album one and two. Yeah. Okay. Right. You get known. You're touring. No time to practice, compose. And then what happened to album three or four or five? I said, well, <laughs> I, that's not good. So after album four, I didn't make an album. I said, I, I ain't making a bad fifth album. I've seen too many people do that. And it's not their fault. And I actually practice more touring than I do at home. But okay. I can see, you know, you get instead of, you know, like having your friends and doing this and that, now you're at airports. Yeah. You know? Now you're like uh, having a grinding tour schedule, which I don't do. I always have a day off for travel, you know. Okay. You, you know, I'd rather have half the money and not have a life I hate. You know? Sure. Yeah, of course. How many shows you know? a year do you play, George? Oh, 80 or 200, I think. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's great. Basically, I'm out from the end of January through May and then September through December. And then when I'm not out, I'm in the studio every day, either recording myself or other artists that I'm producing. And, okay. Um, Is this a home studio? No, it's just uh, I work with it, uh, my engineer, uh San Francisco, and he, um, whatever studio he wants, you know, so I'd rather have somebody maintain that. You know, I don't own a car. I oh, really? Rent. I'd rather have somebody maintain, you know, if there's a recall, <laughs> I don't have to deal with pink slip or anything. Really? Uh, Not even uh, out in Montana? You live in Montana? You don't have a car there? No, I just rent them. Are you just not home enough to merit owning your own car? Oh, yeah, I had a last car I had was for 20 years, and you had somebody have to start the battery, and I go, when I rent one, it doesn't own me. If there's a recall yeah. or something breaks down, it's no big deal, you know? Yeah. And just, just get another one. So Fascinating. Um, I should have done that 20 years ago. <laughs> really? Know? Huh. So do you, you rent a car for, like, weeks at a time, and then when you go back out on the road, you give it back, and then there's no car back home to look after, I guess? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, are, I know nothing about you. Are you married? Do you have kids or anything like that? No. I think, oh, but as far as the studio goes, going back to that, yeah, if I have a studio, you have to maintain it. No, I just want to go to a studio. Okay. You know, I didn't know if you had one there in Montana that you used, or if there was one no, near your no, house. I live, I live in California. Oh, I thought you lived in Montana. But I mainly grew up in Montana. And that's why oh. I'm, I'm driving toward there right now. Got it. Okay. Okay. And, uh, but, I, yeah, it's where I mainly grew up, the eastern part, Miles City and Billings. Okay. Now I understand. I'm envisioning you out in Montana where I can't imagine there are a lot of high-end music studios. And so I'm thinking, where is George Winston going to record his music if not in his own house? Okay, so you're you're in uh, California. There's a good one, good one in Bozeman. Um, I'm sure there's one in Billings. Yeah. There's a great Montana pianist, Phil Auburn. He has his own home studio. That people cool. come there and record up a little okay. Chester, north of Great Falls. So not a lot, but uh, I think somebody has a private studio that they do rent out around Kalispell, northwest Montana. So yeah, okay. you're right, not a lot uh, that yeah. I know of. Okay, okay. Well, you living in California makes more sense. 
A bit more all the time. Yeah, based in Santa Cruz, South San Francisco. Okay. Yep, I used to live out there. Cool. Now, okay, I got to go back to, I got to ask you more about this, this sort of air of mystery that I think you have. And maybe it's because I don't listen to enough new age music or whatever, but like if, if someone wanted to know, I guess what I'm asking is that are you purposely mysterious? Because if somebody wanted to know what you look like, they would have to Google you. I was on YouTube, forgive me, and I see one clip of an interview on local television, and that's it. There's one or two other live clips where you do a little bit of talking, but it's like if someone wanted to know more about George Winston and what his speaking voice even sounded like or what his personality was like, they would have to really dig. And your album covers, of course, never have your pictures really on them or anything. Was that on purpose, or am I just completely misreading? Uh, I, I don't think there's certainly a lot of music clips on YouTube. Um, Tons uh, of music think, clips. They just all have your album cover as the visual. Yeah, I think there's some there's some live things, too. Okay. I think uh, the interviews are, I guess, it's just that's not really on purpose. There's not a there's not a lot. Maybe this maybe this will be on YouTube eventually. Yeah, I know. Right I need now. to figure out a way to get it on there. Yeah. I I think you just I think you just do. I, I've never put anything on, but I think you just you can put anything on. I think you, I know. I need to learn how and put all my episodes out there. We've done like 55 of them. So. As far as the picture, yeah, you know, my face isn't the music. I, I try to have the album cover be. Kind of like one of the songs, like what? Sure. What? Even though you can't really, it's does does this reflect what's inside a, a little bit? So somebody doesn't have any idea about anything, they can get so, at least get a a vague idea about what's inside. It's it's really hard to do, especially you know, is it easier in LPs, you know, and you had more yeah. room, you know, a bigger picture and everything. Right. Do you design your album covers? Because they're very effective. I mean, they, they do exactly what you just said. They always kind of connote what sort of mood or feeling you're going to get from listening to the music. Well, I always approve everything. Sometimes you do, like okay. I, you know, I have no idea, <clears throat> like, the the... Doors album I did in 2002, Not Divide Today, Music of the Doors. Uh huh. That's what the title was. I said, now what do you do for a Doors cover? Right. <laughs> you use them. You know, right. am I going to have my ever fresh threat of I'm just going to use a green cover with the titles in white? I've been uh-huh. trying to do that for decades, and I keep finding a cover, luckily. I'm sure I'm going to uh-huh. run out of luck sooner or later, but on that one, I just sent out a letter to some photographers. One photographer who I knew sent it to his friend, John Frost, and he sent me that cover that was for the doors. I went, wow, that's going to work. It was a, a storm. Yeah, I have it. Eastern, in in, North, in uh, western Montana, just east of Kalispell. And I said, wow, it is just something, so far something has emerged. So I, I didn't yeah. design that, but then I said, okay, I proved it. You know, I yeah. I do the notes. And, sure, okay. Uh, or if I have no idea, I say, come up with something, let me, come up with some ideas, give me an idea, 
Or sometimes I see a picture and go, I want that picture. Yeah, um, there you go. It just, it really, it's kind of like everybody's life and all everybody's endeavor. It, it, everything's different. Right, right. You know, okay. every album's different, every endeavor's different. <clears throat> you know, like every, every cat I've ever been with comes in different ways. Some just come in the house, never leave. Some, <laughs> somebody's moving. Yeah. Uh, some, some, somebody, cats have kittens, you know, just various, it's all, it's all different, but it's all cats. I wondered about that. With the name Dancing Cat being your label, I was curious if you were a cat guy. It sounds like you are. I love cats more than anything. Really? Yeah. Wow, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. He's like that, too. He's a big cat guy. What is it about cats? I don't know. Just from birth, I just said, I just love cats more than anything. It's just it's just a great thing that happens, you know. Huh. It's just one of those things. Wow. They seem, you know, I'm not a huge animal person, but they just seem so unreceptive to your love and affection. Maybe the reward is when you can kind of break through that, where a dog well, might just so want to. They're so small. Everybody's bigger than them, you know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, dogs, people. I mean, a lot of animals are bigger than them, and I think you'd find most animals. Uh, I mean, I've seen bears run. I've seen cats chasing bears. You know. Yeah. I think it's just a thing of caution. It's a dangerous universe, you know. And, yeah. Um, I've had things where the closest cat I was ever with, one of those hotels where the the uh, the door leaving your room goes outside, not to a hallway. So okay. I was uh-huh. loading the suitcases in that room, and the door was like 98% closed, and a cat ran in. Oh. It was the opposite. It said, you know, uh-huh. I I want to come to you. Yeah. Not, would you please come to me? Then right. Was front desk said you stray. I took her home eight years. It was unbelievable. Really? It was like... I've never had an experience with another being like that. You know, so you that had a cat, you that cat for eight years after it just snuck into your hotel room. Yeah. Wow. There've been twenty-two. I've been very, very close to over a whole lifetime. Oh my gosh. I'm not I with just, any right now because I'm not home much, and only yeah. one I've been close, very close to, has passed on. And, uh, but I got about 400 cat friends around the country in houses and venues and around hotels and, you know, cats that we, you know, we we don't really meet, but we know each other. And just yeah. uh, shelters, people who live in the country, got a lot of them. About 400 cat friends. Wow. So interesting. Man, get to know George Winston. This is amazing to me. And I love it. Cats, sure. Here's my approach to producing. I want everything you do. And then I want experimental stuff after that that maybe would have never happened. I want everything. Huh. It's not, let's do 12 rap songs, do a record. No, I want everything. Yeah. And the other approach is the artist has time to say, just like I do, but I want to be able to tell an artist every idea I have and that they know they can project every one of them without any problem at all. 
Sure. And mm-hmm. I, I say that I want to be able to say anything to you. You can reject them all. I'll tell you that about one out of ten of my ideas would be good. Yeah. Uh, the others to say, no, George, no, it's not happening. I don't care at all. Just, but we've got to have this open dialogue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, yep, we've got to be able to communicate, share and ideas. I want, to get everything, I want to get everything you do. Yeah. And then space it out on three or four or five or six Cool. Okay. Like so, I'm curious about something. What has been, and again, because I guess because I relate everything to kind of popular music or rock and roll, have you ever, what would be the most like rock and roll thing that's ever happened to George Winston that you feel comfortable sharing? I mean, I don't, nothing personal well, or I played, whatever. I played the two rock bands from 67 through 71. You mean actually in rock? Or no, I mean, like, you know, did you get a, I don't know, did you have, like, I, the first thing that comes to mind is groupies. That's not exactly what I mean. But did you, um, you know, have you had, have you seen famous rock artists at your show? Did you ever get a fan letter from somebody we would be surprised by? Did you ever play in front of, like, 10,000 screaming fans? Did you, were you ever recognized on a plane or I don't know, just, you know, something... Oh, yeah, I could... I, could uh, I used to get recognized occasionally. Um, but it wor- I didn't have my picture out anywhere, so it worked out. Yeah. If anybody recognized me, they were at a show, so we really did do something together. They just didn't see me on TV or something, you know, or... Right, right. I mean, it wasn't an idle station kind of thing. You know, we were at an event together. The audience thinks they're there for me, and I think I'm there because of them. So yeah, we, definitely true. Have we definitely have different viewpoints. Right. And, and But we are at the same event. And I did play one 6,000-seat hall one time, and I went, this is ridiculous. I mean, oh, really? I'm you making, didn't like it? I'm making more money in del- delivering, you know, a less good product. You know, yeah. I never mic piano. I don't like the sound of a mic piano for the way I play. I said, oh, interesting. No, I, I heard it play a 1,000-seat hall six nights. I'd rather work more for less money. Okay. Not the American huh. way. <laughs> yeah, well, but that makes sense. That way you hold on to your own integrity and your own artistic vision, right? I mean, well, and besides, you know, how much money do we need? We need enough people, to do what we want to do, right? Some people have the personality to kind of be a public personality. I, I don't disrespect that at all. In a way, I'm exactly like Liberace because I know exactly what I want. Mm-hmm. It's nothing. Yeah. But yeah. he knew exactly what he wanted. When I look at anybody, I go, well, this is what they want. They're out covered. This is what they're saying. I don't really have a thing that is good or bad. I'll, I'll yeah. have a thing that do I play in your songs. But if I don't, that doesn't mean they're not good. It's right, right. Not my particular temperament. Uh, well, for example, the stride piano rhythm from the 20s and 30s was the stride piano means the left hand plays a bass and a chord. Okay. Uh-huh. Like the bass is going beat one, chord on beat two, bass on beat three, and chord on beat four, like bump, chump, bump, chump, bump, chump, bump, chump. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the rhythm of the 60s. The rhythm of the 60s, you know? So yeah. different different eras, different machines, different kind of dance, you know. Uh, right. You know, 
sixties dancing is basically the twist. So I never yeah, did any true. of it. It's definitely different from, from the jitterbug, you know, thirty right. twenty dancing. But Charles just does the does the music influence dances or the dances influence music? I think it's both. True. Yeah, good point. And I played for dances, which is kind of hypocritical, so I've never danced in my life. Because when I first started playing, I would go to dances to watch organists. Oh, okay. And I would stand behind the organist and take notes on three-by-five cards. I mean, it's the ultimate nerd thing to do. (laughs) You never had, like, a Jerry Lee Lewis moment where you just were pounding away and kicking the the piano bench out? That's not you. No, it's... It's... it's, uh, just trying to play a song as well as I can. I mean, everybody knows yeah. what they do to try to express what they express, whether it's Jerry Lee or Liberace or anybody. You, you, in the what you're surrounding yourself, it's what you want to express. It's yeah, it's kind of all a big painting, you know. What right, are you? Right. What do you want to say? Yeah. Uh, to me, there is no good or bad. It's just no. What What's your taste as an observer? What's your taste as a as a player? I completely agree. I am totally and, with you. But, but my time has to be spent on what tunes will work as solo instrumentals. Mm-hmm, I've kind mm-hmm. of almost exhausted everything. You know, I've looked at every... I'm not an expert on the traditions of the world, but I know enough to know I'm not going to play any traditional Thailand songs. I oh, can certainly mm-hmm. be inspired by the old 78s, but there's nothing I'm going to play. I mean, yeah. sure, maybe, but the odds are really slim, so I don't spend a lot of time there anymore. As a listener, you know, I don't spend any time. Um, it's it pretty much, if I want to express something, I kind of I put them together myself now. I kind of, you know, want to express something well. Either a Randy Newman song or Thor song expresses that. Right. Well, no, I guess I got to. But I, I never compose anything on purpose. It's just. It just comes it out. Happens. It happens yeah. now and then, either from inspiration or the desire to express something or just some random thing with no feeling at all that right. later I go, oh, those chords are good. So, Okay. Interesting. We're coming up on an hour, but i got to ask you one more question before I let you go because my wife specifically asked me to ask you, were you a child prodigy? Were you? She yeah. wanted to know, like, were you one of those kids that just took to the – took to the piano at a young age and it's been that way ever since how did you find it how did you come to it no I had, I had a few lessons young like a, most kids you know I wasn't interested at all in baseball basketball uh-huh. uh, I didn't even listen to music though 12 in, in uh-huh. Miles City there was one radio station no TV uh, music was something that was there, maybe on Spice Car Radio, but I really didn't notice. Yeah, you know, I heard Christmas Carol here and there. I didn't really, it just wasn't part of my life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at 12, I started listening to music. There were a lot of instrumental hits in 1961. I started listening. And I just loved the organ more than anything. And then finally, when I heard the, I got the Doors record, they weren't known just because they had it all. Yeah. And then I, heard that record I went I got this is the greatest thing I've ever heard I got to get but no I got I got pretty good at basketball for a couple of years then peaked out <laughs> burned out uh-huh. but no not at all I would I I look at it like there's kind of a saying in older maybe 
loosely in the older flamenco guitar tradition that you listen for 20, you practice for 20, you accompany dancing for 20 years, at 60 you're ready to be a solo guitar player. Oh, interesting. In a way, I imbibe the the distinct extreme seasons in Montana. I imbibed those for 12 years. I listened for six, Uh played organ for four, and then piano. Uh, So it's kind of in a way, although not on purpose, it, I, it makes sense because the seasons inform everything I do, everything I think of as a listener yeah, or a player. Yeah, well, you can tell. Every song I hear that, you know, I react to, mm-hmm. it, 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 the first thing I think of is it's a summer song, a spring song, yeah. spring song, autumn song. Yeah. I oh, didn't know everybody didn't think that way, but because of my upbringing, those extreme seasons, and in Miles City, there were really six. It was really two falls, two winters that were very distinct. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of like growing up speaking your lang- the language you speak. It's just kind of, you know, you might think of, if you're trying to work out something in your head, you might think in English. Right, right. I, so I kind of basically think in seasons. Um, okay, that makes sense. That's what you're known speaking. for. Because but, and those seasons have to be somewhere like two sides of the same coin. So the topography could be the, the Great Plains, which is where I grew up. Um, uh huh. You know, it could be mountains, forests, ocean. Uh, so whatever the image a song brings to me is completely not logical. It just yeah. it's just what it what it is. Like I'll hear a song. They'll remind me of somebody who remind me of a bell tower that I saw 30 years before I ever heard the song. It makes more wow. sense whatsoever. Interesting. But it's, it, it's, that's what it is to me. But it, every listener, it's so subjective to every listener, and every listener right. really is sovereign. You know, a sovereign listener. And yeah. But I think, and I, you know, I can, I think I speak for a lot of people that and I can kind of wrap up on this too, the, you know, yes, the listener is bringing a lot to uh, George Winston experience, but we come to you because your vision and your voice, we'll call it, means so much. And I can, so I just, I can, I want to tell you that, and I'm sure you get this a lot, I just love you so much. You've brought a lot of joy and peace and pleasure into my life for, I think I discovered you probably 30 years ago. So you mean a lot to me, and I know I'm speaking for a lot of other people too. Well, and we like much. to, it's true, we like to, I like to hear the George Winston version of life. It's a beautiful song to me. So thank you for your artistry and for what you put out in the world. It makes it well, a better you. place. I, I think, uh, Anybody who listens or anybody who doesn't want to, I respect that. Sure. I, mean, I play for listeners. If there's no listener, I practice. I don't sit at home and play a song all the way through. Yeah. I, I practice the hard part. So when there is a person or people to play for. So um, I think two sides of the same coin. I mean, I think there are players and there are listeners, and they both need each other. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, we like to listen to you. We like what you have to say. So thank you for well, being you. For the kind words and everything, and uh, that, thanks for doing this. And um, you bet. Thank you. My gosh, 
I'm I'm uh, pretty starstruck. <laughs> uh, rock and roll moments. I think just that big hall that was too big. Yeah. You know that six thousand feet hall it was a good hall for the size, but I went. You know, I shouldn't even be that well known. You know, yeah, it sounds just, like you avoid so, rock and roll moments. It wasn't. You want to it keep it intimate. It wasn't like it was bad. It was just that what it, it didn't fit me. Yeah. Just like a certain pair of shoes don't fit you, and the shoes aren't bad. It's sure. Just a, you know. Yeah, that makes but sense. That, it makes sense. You need to it. create I, your I, comfortable space. I never lit up or inhaled. That, that's a fairly unusual problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. I was too, I was too busy practicing. I mean, yeah. I, I I love the universe, but I don't trust it enough to be out of it. Yeah, I believe you. I, I need yeah. to be able to, you know, jump up and, you know, escape. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Never had a drink, nothing, you know. It's not yep. because I'm any kind of, you know, better than anybody else. It's just I just never was attracted to chemicals or, you know. Sure. You know, Drugs, drugs, drink. I don't even like the taste of coffee. People say, "Well, you're really pure." I go, "No, I'm not. I just don't <laughs> like what some people do." <laughs> yeah. Well, you've clearly. I, I mean, based I on the conversation, deal, I, had to, I had to deal with sugar big time. <laughs> really, boy, you just—you're someone who has created their own reality, and you live in it with—you control it. You control your environment, and you've been blessed enough through your success, which you deserve to maintain it, you know? You do your well, own I thing, we, it sounds I, like. I think we all do. I think I like that control about half of it and half a half come in from randomity, serendipity, the universe, whatever you want to call it. I like uh-huh. having new things come in, but uh, it's a bit like balancing on a log in a flowing river. You know, the mm. river's always changing trying to keep my balance, but if I'm doing such a thing, it's because I want to do experiences of what's, what, if we're floating on, what's around the next bend. Right. Wow, that's going to be interesting to see that, or inspirational, or scary, or educational, or something. So, yeah. uh, I don't want too much control. Like, all the songs, I don't, I basically know how the songs go, and some songs have room for improv, that isn't planned. So it's a good balance of control and uh, whatever you call the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Letting go, I don't know, right? Certain Being open, be probably. Detachment, whatever you want to, yeah. you know. Um, and it, it's, it's um, you know, I've had difficult events like everybody. And to me, sure. it's like, Existence, in a way, is like a baseball game. It's not what the pitcher throws. It's what I do with it. Mm-hmm. It's If they throw a curve, if they hit me with the pitch, I charge a mound, or should I just go to first base and steal second? It's all right. to me with what to do. With yeah, how are you going to respond to what life gives you? Yeah. Like if somebody cut in front of me in a car. Well, they didn't see me. Why should I be mad? Or we can have a bad relationship. For, right. You know, I, it's it's up to me. And even if they did it on purpose, it's still up to me. I could say, well, there's either balance or imbalance. If somebody yeah. did something unkind, it's just because they're imbalanced. Yeah. I, mean, I haven't been imbalanced. Oh yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> True. We all have, right? 
it's yeah. part of life, you know. It's, it is. It's, it's, it's not easy for anybody. We're all no. finding depth and gravity every second. There you have it, George Winston. I really loved him, and I just gotta say, I am so impressed by his philosophy around enough being enough. That's obviously a counterintuitive philosophy in the music business, but I, I think that's an important way to approach your life, to be famous enough, to make enough money, to be popular enough, to have enough people come to your shows. I just, I think that is so healthy and wonderful. I love that that is his philosophy. Also, I just got to say, I'm really proud of the fact that we've had George Winston and Rob Reiner, the drummer of Anvil, on the same podcast. I just like music, and we don't really differentiate, or we try not to, among genres or eras or who's cool or who isn't. I just want to find the people whose music speak to me and hear their stories. And as I always say, you guys feel free to send me a note if there's somebody you want me to track down. Obviously, if we're talking to George Winston, the spectrum can get pretty wide. So just let me know what that is. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, George sent me a bunch of CDs to give away. There's all four seasonal albums, December, which again, I said this before, it is essential to me. It is a masterpiece. December, autumn, summer, winter into spring, Plains, The Velveteen Rabbit, and volume one of the Vince Guaraldi tribute album. I've got, in some cases, more than one copy of each one of those. If you want me to mail you a copy of those CDs, just send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can tweet me at thehustlepod, or you can find us on Facebook and send me a message on there. It'll just be first come, first serve. When I'm out, I'm out. Like our page. You can stay in contact with us that way. Huge thanks to Yan, as always, for producing the podcast, Yan the Man. And come back next week, because next week's guest is a really interesting one-hit wonder from the 70s. He had one hit, and he, like George, was content that that was enough. And he chose to become a professional songwriter, and he's contributed songs to all different genres, to huge stars, minimal stars. It's pretty interesting stuff. I think you'll like it. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.